a song, so I'm glad to be up here now. I want to thank Grant Me Hope for being here this morning. Glad you guys are here. And uh, thankful Helen and, and uh, hers are here. And also Michael. If, if you, I don't think Michael made his way up here, but Michael is in the back there. Michael leads worship at, is it Calvary Baptist in Holland or First Baptist? Calvary Baptist in Holland and and so he works directly, I think, with the houses, and um, so we're just glad. And in case you missed it, they're the ones that bought Holiday Floral, and so they are going to be our neighbors in the future, Lord willing. So we're super glad to have them here, and if, um, if you get a chance to talk to them after the service, that would be great. Also, uh, baptism and membership class uh, starts next week, and we'd really, if you're going to come, we'd really love to have you sign up today so that we know how much food to prepare because uh, we will serve dinner there, Lord willing. So please, please sign up today if you can. Also, this is what the playground looked like last week. Okay? This is what it looks like this week. Yes. We're so thankful for those guys that worked out there in the wind and the rain. And uh, it's beautiful today. It was not beautiful when they were working last week. So very thankful for all the time that they volunteered on that. Okay, when we started the book of Ecclesiastes back on August 13th, we had 107 days to the Monday after Thanksgiving. So that is 1127. And I asked you to do a mental experiment, and I said, if you knew you were going to die on 1127, the Monday following Thanksgiving, how would you live? Because the book of Ecclesiastes kind of comes back to again and again and again. We're all going to die, and we don't know when. So how do we live well now? How do we make the most of life now? So I said, if you knew you had 107 days to live, how would you live now? What would you do? What hill would you take? Who would you talk to? What would you do now? Okay, so then today, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm counting this Monday as a, as a day, maybe you'll die at the end of the day, I don't know, I'm, that's, how, that's how the numbers are working out anyway, if you're like doing the math and it's frustrating to you. Now we have 23 days left. That means you and I are 84 days closer to eternity than we were when we started this series. I think Ken's mic is on, or uh, Ken's mic is on. So I just heard him say, that's right, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> but in case he whispers something to Tammy during the service, it might be embarrassing. So I just thought I'd point that out. 84 days closer, just in case I lost you there, 84 days closer to eternity. 84 days. So, so this is, again, Ecclesiastes is about living with the end in mind, how would you live? And what is God calling you to do? I wasn't planning to talk about foster care today, but maybe God has been calling you to think about foster care. And today's a day that he's really pressing on you that this is something that you need to really strongly consider and you need to take a next step and make a phone call. Maybe there is someone in your life that God is pushing on you and saying, you need to go talk to them and you need to make it right. Maybe there's a way that you need to be generous and some, somebody you need to give to or something you need to give to or something you need to 
Do you have a way? Like, what is God telling you to do? What has he been pushing on you to do? And you're like, but I'm... And, and you have this long list of, of reasons or things you're waiting for, and when those things happen, then you'll do it. And I think my word for that might be stuck. Like, maybe you're stuck, waiting until there are fewer unknowns and more things are under control, and the economy comes around, and the weather is better, and, and you're just kind of waiting for this or waiting for that. I think Ecclesiastes would kind of push on you that life is too short to stay stuck. You're 84 days closer to eternity. How much longer are you going to wait? Life is too short to stay stuck. So today, today by God's grace, we'll get unstuck. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sitting with us this morning, and Lord, I pray that you would help us get unstuck and do what you're calling us to do in spite of the fears, in spite of all the things that are out of control. I pray that you would meet us in this moment and get us moving towards you. Lord, I pray that you would do this. Stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them. Do this for our good and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, I'm going to tip my hand and tell you what I'm going to tell you before I read the text. So I'm going to argue this morning that God returns what we sow from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 through verse 6. And what I mean by that is, this, I took this picture this morning uh, from behind my house, and in order to have corn that looks like that, that is ready to harvest, it's really obvious, but what do you have to do? You have to plant it. You have to plant it in the spring. You couldn't have done it yesterday. You had to do it a while ago. You had to plant corn, and you had to plant it earlier in the year. If, if some of you are looking at retirement, and if you want to retire now, what do you have to do? Well, you had to start saving when you're in your 20s or 30s. You know, if you want a relationship with your adult kids, now what do you have to do? Well, you have to have invested in them when they were young. God returns what we sow on a, on a natural plane and on a supernatural plane. God returns what we sow. That's what I'm going to argue from this text this morning. So we hear chapter 11, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. I take that as a way of sowing, and you'll kind of see that as we move through the text. I think it's related to verse 6. So cast your bread upon the water, and you will find it after many days. So cast it and you will find it because God returns what we sow. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So he's saying go ahead and diversify your assets. Go ahead and sow in lots of different places. Go ahead and give a portion to seven or even eight. Give and give big. Make sure you diversify because you don't know which disaster will happen next. Don't just play it safe. Diversify into scary stuff too because you don't know where the disaster is going to strike. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Hey, can you control the clouds? No, you cannot. The clouds are out of your control and when God makes them rain, they rain and when they don't, they don't. And the clouds are out of, There will always be stuff out of your control. So you'll always think, well, I would do that. I should do that. But 
I'm going to wait until things are under control. And if that's your idea, then you will never get around to sowing. You'll see that in verse 4. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. You know, if you knew the tree was going to fall on your house, you would have cut it down. You would have had someone else cut it down. But you didn't know the tree was going to fall on your house. If you could have controlled where the tree was going to fall, you wouldn't have had it fall on your house. But life is, under, life is not under our control, and we don't know what's going to happen next. This is the idea in Ecclesiastes. So get over it, and sow, because God returns what we sow. He who observes the wind will not sow. The future will always be uncertain. If you're like waiting until the future is completely calm and everything is under control and all the conditions are right, and now, now you're ready to do it. Now you're ready to talk to her. Now you're ready to have the conversation with him. That, that, that will just never happen because he observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Life is always going to be uncertain. Life is always going to feel a little out of control. So he's saying, go ahead and sow, because God returns what we sow. As you do not know, have you seen that phrase before? You do not know? Like some of you that sat through Ecclesiastes for a while, man, that sounds really familiar to you. You've seen that over and over and over again. But just in this passage, you saw earlier in this passage, for as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb, of a woman with child. So, what's that next phrase? You do not know the work of God who makes everything. If you're waiting until you know everything that God is going to do in the future and exactly how he's doing it and why he's doing it, you will never do anything. So he's saying so because God returns what you sow. This is verse 6. In the morning sow your seed. Like get up and do it. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. So, the way I, you know how they used to sow. They used to have a bag with seed, and you pick it up, and you throw it. And you say, in the evening, do it again, only this time make sure you aren't doing it like, you know, don't, don't do a sissy throw. Get a big handful and heave that thing. Let it go. Because God returns what we sow. In the evening, sow your seed. I'm sorry, in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know. There it is again. Only this time, you know, a lot of times you're like, well, I would do it, but I don't know if it will work. He's saying, you're right, you don't know, so go ahead and do it. You're using that as a reason not to. Go ahead and use that as a reason to do it. For you do not know what, which will prosper. This or that, or whether both alike will be good. So go ahead and jump. So look, if you're stuck, if you're stuck and you're like, I don't like where I am. I don't like what I'm doing. I want to take the next step. But the bottom line is, I just don't know. I just feel like there's too much out of my control. Welcome. People have felt like that for a long time. And the author of the Ecclesiastes would kind of look at you, try to make eye contact with you, and say, Life is too short to stay stuck. Please trust that God will return what we sow. 
please go and live. Please do it. Please take the step. Please take the action. Sow the seed. Have the conversation. Go ahead. Go ahead and get unstuck. Take courage and move forward. So, so God returns what we sow. I want to say this one more time because this is the big truth about God and then we'll talk about what to do. So God returns what we sow. Uh, in the summer, we go on vacation and we always go up to my parents for a week and uh, one of the things we do during that week is we always go fishing with my dad. And so you can't see my dad very well here. That's his shoulder. He's uh, behind Asher there. And uh, the reason I have this picture up here is because of the minnow bucket. And so on the way to go fishing, we always stop at the same store, and I'm always amazed at how many minnows my dad buys. I'm like, Dad, there are not that many fish in the lake. You know, like he buys so many minnows. Um, and it's because he doesn't want to run out. You know, and, and he's an optimist. He believes we're going to catch a lot of fish. And so you know, he'll buy so many minnows and he'll buy so many worms and then we'll go fishing. And then it's kind of funny that he'll also, he'll start rationing, we'll only use a third of a worm, you know, like, and, and it's, it's a game of chess, right? Because you want to use enough worm to catch the fish, but not so much worm that you run out and then you can't catch fish at the end of the day. And you have to leave early. And so how much worm should you use? How many minnow, How often do you change out the minnow after the minnow gets really tired and starts to die? Uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a game of chess. Kind of a, how, much, how much bait should you use when? Here's, here's a conclusion I've come to, just having fish. You know, I'm not that good at fishing, but my dad is. and I just kind of go along for the ride. And Here's my conclusion. Because I, I always hate it when we bring back bait, because I'm like, then the bait just goes to waste. None of the bait, this is, this is, I'm talking about your life right now, okay? I'm talking about your life, believe it or not. None of the bait that stays in the boat catches any fish. None of the thoughts that stay in your head that were like, that would really help them if I said it, but it might offend them, none of those thoughts actually help them. in your mattress grows. None of the things you think, I should do that. I really should get around to doing that. None of those thoughts ever do anyone any good until you actually go and do it. God returns what we sow. So, so. So, so. And this is, I think this is the burden of the text here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1, is go ahead and risk the unknowns. This is, this is what he says here in verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. And then in verse 5, as you do not know the way of the Spirit. And then later on in that verse, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And then in verse 6, for you do not know which will prosper. There's a lot of unknowns. There's always going to be unknowns. And if you let those things stop you from doing good, then you will never do anything. Life will always seem out of control. There will always be unknowns. So go ahead and do it. You know, 
even, even when disaster happens. You still have to plant. You still have to harvest. I mean, even in Ukraine. Think of all the unknowns in Ukraine. Think of verse 2 here. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Even in Ukraine, they are harvesting, and they will sow, and they will harvest again. Even there, even with the disasters happening all around them, even in Israel, with all the disasters happening all around, they still have to sow, they still have to harvest. If they don't, then they'll have a whole different disaster on their hands, won't they? Even in 2020, we still had to sow, we still had to harvest. You may be like stuck because you're like, but there's so many things I don't know, there's so many things I can't control, welcome, we're not in Eden anymore, we're not in heaven yet, welcome, you just have to sow and trust that God will bring the harvest. So, so. So have the conversation that you've been putting off. So take the risk that you've been afraid to take. So do the good you've been putting off. Because God returns what we sow. So risk the unknowns. Okay, so let's talk about how this works concretely. Like other places in the Bible, I want to show you how this works. So, in uh, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is um, writing to them about an offering that they need to collect for the Jerusalem church. So the church in Corinth is here, trying to get it steady there, it's, it's here, it's on the other side of the Mediterranean from Jerusalem, which is here. And he's writing to this church about uh, how they should collect an offering for this church, which is going through a famine, and is going through persecution. So they're starving, and they're being persecuted, and they're really, really suffering. And he's, he's like, I know, I know they're a long ways away. I know you haven't met them, but God returns what we sow. So we're going to raise an offering for them. So this is what he writes. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is he telling them? I know you're afraid to give. I know you can think of a lot of reasons not to give. But he's saying give because God returns what we sow. As it is written, he has distributed freely and is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's saying, go ahead and sow. Go ahead and give. Go ahead and risk generosity. 
even though you can think of all the reasons not to risk generosity, like if you're sitting there with the Corinthian church and, and you're like, Paul, they're reading Paul's letter about how they should give to the Jerusalem poor, you know, they could say, well, this is not our problem, right? Like those people are a long ways away and they are not our problem. They could say, well, if we give to the Jerusalem poor, who else is going to want our money? They could say, you know, we can barely afford the stuff we're doing here. How can we take care of them? And what is the Apostle Paul's answer to them? The one who will supply and multiply your seed for sowing will also increase the harvest of your righteousness. God returns what we sow. He returns what we sow. So take the risk and do the good that God is calling you to do. Galatians, Paul makes a similar point, um, writing about the gospel this time. And because in, in Galatia, there had been um, really an abuse of theology, and there was like different camps, and some people thought they were better than other people, and more, you know, it was like just not the kind of church that you'd want to be part of. Um, and he, he fixes that with the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. And And so he writes this, as he's kind of summing things up for them. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows... Hey, have you you heard that before this morning? For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And and of course, so far this morning, we're talking about how that's a good thing, that God returns what we sow. Well, right now we're talking about how that's a bad thing. Because the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. Like it can, it can work the other way too. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's he saying? He's saying, go ahead and do good. Because this is like sowing seeds. Because God will multiply what we sow. You know what? I'm really, I'm just going to tell you. If you plant, if you plant one kernel of corn, how much potential does that one kernel have? How many other kernels could come from that one kernel? A lot. Like, I don't know. Like, some of you are farmers. Maybe you'd help me out. How, how many times could that one kernel multiply? You think of all the different ears on the, on the stalk of corn. Probably if I was, if I was more, arc, more accurate to the text and the ideas, I would probably say God multiplies what we sow rather than God just merely returns what we sow. Probably that'd be more accurate. But you know, like, I think, I, th- I realized this this morning, once I was done going through my PowerPoint, I've, and I was reading through it all, and I, I, I was reading, and I was just kind of reflecting on it again, I thought, you know, it's probably more accurate to say God multiplies what we sow, not just God returns what we sow, but I, I just don't think I have the, f- I just don't think I have the faith to write multiplies 
And that's my fault. It's my weakness. But praise God, he meets our weakness with his strength. Even in our little faith, he multiplies what we sow. So if you're stuck, overcome your fear. And do what God is calling you to do. But you might be like, you know, I've heard that a bunch of times and I just, I just am stuck. I've been stuck for a long time. Man, is that, is that you? Like, have you been stuck for a long time? I'm stuck. Here's a guy in Matthew chapter 9 who had been stuck for quite a while. And the problem was he had a really high-paying job. But it seemed like the more money he made, the more friends he lost. And the better he was at his job, the more he compromised who he was and his beliefs. And he was stuck. And Jesus comes to him and gives him the answer to being stuck. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. You know, like, tax booth then was not like tax booth today. Tax booth then was you sell out your people to make money for the imperial powers in Rome, which are far away and controlling Israel. Like, there's all kinds of moral and personal compromise involved in being a tax collector, and he was stuck in his tax collector job. Lots of money, but also lots of compromise on all kinds of levels that you don't want to compromise. Now, what is the answer to this? What is Jesus' answer to this dude who was stuck? Two words. Thank you. Follow me. So what does he do? He gets up and he follows Jesus. What's the answer to being stuck? The answer to being struck, stuck is surrender. Matthew surrenders to Jesus, says, okay, you're in charge and I'm not. There's a lot of stuff that's out of my control. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I'm afraid of. There's a lot of stuff that I wish I knew the answer to, but I don't. But when Jesus comes to him and Jesus says, here's the answer, dude. Follow me. So he doesn't pray a prayer and then just stay there. He surrenders and he gets up and he follows him. He's unstuck. I think the answer to being stuck is surrender. So if you're like, man, but I've been stuck. I've been stuck for so long. I think I'd ask you, like, what is it that you won't surrender? What is it that you can't surrender? It may be that fear of losing that or fear of being out of control of that is what's keeping you stuck. 
And God in his grace is calling you to follow him. Sow the seed. Because he will return what we sow. So if you had 23 days to live, including the Monday after Thanksgiving, what would you do? What is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to get unstuck? Take courage and follow him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to follow you even when we're afraid, even when we're stuck. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.